The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast, coming to you from the upper room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Springdale, Arkansas. This is Michael Bakalig. I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Bryce Kirk. Bryce, how have you been doing these past couple of weeks? been doing very well, Michael. How about yourself? I've been doing well. We've had a lot going on, if you really think about it over the last two weeks or so. First of all, I should mention, Bryce, that you had a birthday a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. So you are a recent birthday boy. I hope that it was a good birthday. Yeah, thank God. It's a very long weekend. That's good. uh, That's how, uh, you know, Jam-packed, lots of fun, I'm sure. Absolutely, every time. still young. What are you, 45, 55? (laughs) About 25 years less About 25. Okay, well, I'll I'll settle on that for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy your 25th year then. Thank God. Uh, And happy birthday, belated to you. I'm glad that it sounds like it was a success. Uh, We've also had some other exciting news just locally. The University of Arkansas has won their first three count them three football games, and that includes, Bryce, a victory over number 15 Texas last week, last Saturday. I heard you were at that game, Bryce. What was that like? It was a madhouse. I don't (laughs) think I've ever seen uh, the stadium quite that full or quite that electric, but it was a a beautiful thing to be a part of. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that unites us, I'm I'm an alumni from the University of Arkansas. I graduated from there. So I am an adopted hog and you're a grad student, as we've mentioned before. So this is, I think, isn't this your final year, Bryce, as a grad student? Yeah, God willing. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm about done with school. So God willing, hopefully you don't uh, stick around too much longer after this year. <laughs> right, right, right. We'll see what happens. So. Well, we'd love to have you stay in the area, but we'll, we'll see where mm-hmm. God takes you. Uh, but this is an exciting year. I know we're talking a little bit of Arkansas football, but it's been a while since we really had a lot to cheer about. Yeah, that's right. With the Hogs, especially in the football department. So it's nice to see our our Razorbacks headed in the right direction, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. We love we love those boys. We love the Hogs. So. That's awesome. It's, it's great to see a 3-0 <laughs> by their record for first time in a long time. Well, we hope the season goes well. Uh, I also wanted to mention, Bryce, we had a very special event at our local parish over Labor Day weekend. Again, that was two weeks ago. And it was a retirement banquet for our former pastor, Father John Atchison. And and you've mentioned Father John several times in previous episodes and the tremendous impact he's had on you, but really on our whole parish. He's done so much for our parish over the 20 years he's been here. Uh, It was much more than just a retirement banquet, too. We were celebrating the fact that Father John has had 20 years of service here at St. Nicholas Church. Uh, It was also his 50th wedding anniversary that same weekend. So there was a triune kind of threefold celebration with Father John and his lovely wife, Maria Marilyn Atchison. 
Uh, we had about 150 people at the banquet. It was at a hotel, lots of good food. There was a live band. In fact, the live band that was there, one of our church parishioners actually plays in that band, and he has a few friends that uh, play with him, and it's a band called Axios. And they they played a great performance for us, and it was a great, great time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was... Um... It was a beautiful way to uh, send them both off, and Father John brought me into the church here about four years ago now, and I've had a great relationship with him and his wife, and having a lot of parishioners there, many we haven't seen since the beginning of the pandemic, um, it was a very beautiful thing to be a part of, and I think it was just an awesome way to to honor him and his service, and and having our new priest, Father Paul, there, and even Bishop Nicholas calling in was a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, Bishop Nicholas intended to be here in person, and unfortunately with the Delta variant with COVID, he wasn't able to be here in person, but he still did do a uh, kind of Zoom meeting so that he could give a, a live address to everyone, which was very special. I'm really glad he was able to do that and we could hear from him. And we were talking about football earlier, Bryce, and it's just nice to see full stadiums again. It's nice to do, be able to do, you know, a full banquet mm-hmm. in a hotel, in a banquet hall where, you know, it was just wonderful to have everybody together. And we know that there's there's situations where, unfortunately, that can't happen everywhere. Um, there's parts of the country where COVID has been a lot more difficult to deal with. But thank God for those little just bright spots where we're finally starting to see things like this come together. And we've talked, Bryce, about the importance of community. And being in a communal environment at church, at a banquet like we described, even at a football game, it really tugs at your soul and it it really points to how we're wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, people people really do need to be in communion with each other. And over the last year and a half, you know, we're recording this in 2021. It's um, the world's been turned on its head. And to be able to kind of see things return to normal somewhat, being able to be back in church, being able to be back in stadiums, being able to be back in classrooms or businesses, um, it may seem like a small thing, but it's been something that's been lacking for for a while and perhaps for good reason but now we're coming out of that and being able to be with people in person again um, as the kids say it just hits different it has been a really hard time over this last year and a half almost two years and I think that I think that for me personally it's been important to not take things for granted anymore you know when I'm actually in an environment like the banquet that we did a couple of weeks ago, and I see all of my friends, my church family, mm-hmm. those are moments that are so important to me. You know, this time that we have on earth is so short, really. And the time that we can be together to get to know each other, to deepen our relationships with each other, that is best done in person. And that has been a challenge. But like we are saying, I think that's something that, thank God, is starting to happen more. And we don't have to be as afraid because I think people are starting to understand how to be safe. Uh, the, the hospitals are getting better at treating the virus. Mm-hmm. And so we have to just look forward and realize that we can't live in fear, you know, our whole life and, and just be cooped up and, and, and not engage with people. I think engagement is so key. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I think it's part of being human. Well, speaking of engagement, we're going to engage right back into this article that we've been going through together The article, again, that we started a couple episodes back, it's called Why Orthodox Men Love Church, and the author is Frederica Matthews Green. And I do want to remind everyone this article is available to read on our Antiochian Men website. Just go to antiochianmen.org, 
and scroll down to the bottom of the page and just click on the download Amen documents. And you can go ahead and see that at the top of the page if you'd like to follow along. Bryce, we started by going through the introduction and then the section called challenges a couple of episodes back. And then we talked about the following two sections that were subtitled clear disciplines and a goal in our last episode. We're going to move now on to the next section of the article, which is titled No Sentimentality. Bryce, why don't you kick us off this time with the first paragraph? Yeah, no problem. So to begin, she writes, In the church impotent cited above and recommended by several of these men, Leon Podols offers a theory about how Western Christian piety became feminized. In the 12th to 13th centuries, a particularly tender, even erotic strain of devotion arose, one which invited the individual believer to picture himself or herself, rather than the church as a whole, as the bride of Christ. Bridal mysticism was enthusiastically adopted by devout women and left an enduring stamp on Western Christianity. It understandably had less appeal for guys. For centuries in the West, men who chose the ministry have been stereotyped as effeminate. A lifelong Orthodox layman says that, from the outside, Western Christianity strikes him as, quote, a love story written for women by women, unquote. I really find this section of the article fascinating, Bryce. The very subtitle of this section is No Sentimentality, and and I think that really speaks to a barrier that I think a lot of men have faced in some versions of Western Christianity. Sentimentality tends to be an excessive tenderness, maybe even a sadness or sometimes a nostalgia. And I can see where that would be a turnoff to men everywhere. I was most struck by the paragraph you read where it says that a lifelong Orthodox layman said from the outside that Western Christianity strikes him as a love story written for women by women. Yeah, to bring up that point, it's it's very different than the Orthodox churches and, and the Orthodox way of worship um, like one example of that is all of our clergy are men. Yeah. The priest is a man, the deacon's a man, subdeacons and so on and so forth, altar servers. And to be able to observe that from the inside for your whole life, Michael, you're a lifelong Orthodox Christian as well. And from the outside looking in, um, it's a definitely it's definitely a different way of of doing things that strikes somebody as very foreign at times and mm. you may have a hard time finding your place in that. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because you're right. I've been Orthodox my whole life, and so for me, having an all-male clergy has been very normal. It's something that I have experienced my whole life. I never questioned it. But there's also something There's something deep about the fact that the men have their role in the church in regards to the clergy as being clergy, and it doesn't mean that they're above everybody else. It doesn't mean that they're on top and that they do all the work. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's designed. You know, Father Hans, our spiritual advisor to the Antiochian men, he has an incredible video about this topic, about why in the Orthodox Church, all of the clergy are men. And I would highly recommend that if anyone is interested in this topic, that they go to our website or to our YouTube channel and to watch that video, Why a Male Clergy. Father Hans says it better than I think either of us could, and it is, we've gotten so many great points of feedback, and and just people have commented on how deep that really is, because from our point of view, or I would say from the modern point of view in our culture, most people would just say, that's not fair. It's not fair that you can't have women as clergy, and it's not about fairness at all. And again, if you watch that video, if you 
hear Father Hans explaining the concrete differences between men and women and the reason why in the Orthodox Church the clergy are taken from men. You know, there's a, there's a part in that video that is very profound about holding the chalice, for example, which holds the body and blood of Christ. And when a male holds the chalice, it gives a very different symbol than if a woman were to hold it. And that's just a little bit of a teaser because I'm not going to try to teach on this point. <laughs> it is a very deep and a very a serious point. But it's something that we do have that video that everyone can check out. And it would maybe help to clarify some things because there have been, I think, in some Western Christian churches, some confusion about can women be clergy? Is it okay? Well, you might have to think about what is the purpose of the clergy in that church? And in our church, in the Orthodox Church, there's a sacramental reality that is very much a part of what the clergy does. And so that brings a depth to it, where if you don't understand the tradition of the church, it can be very confusing. Right. And it's not about, you know, men are superior and women are inferior. That's not at all what it's about. It's, it's about having roles that people take according to what the church says. And for a lot of people, the Orthodox Church does strike them as being backward, or frankly, sometimes they believe it to be wrong at times because it isn't a modern, it's not part of a modern concept. Right. It's not part of a modern context. And so with that, um, I remember reading an article one time several years ago when I was first coming to the church, and uh, it had said that uh, the title of the article was um, The Orthodox Church is Stuck in the Middle Ages. Mm. And for some people, that seems like it's an absolute problem. But in orthodoxy, a center part of everything that we do is tradition. Yeah, It's hierarchy. Everything is organized in such a way. Michael, we've gone to chanting classes here and one of our readers who is our choir director, he has given us instructions on as to why church, the church calendar is so intricate and why services are set up in the way that they are exactly. and they're administered at the time that they are because everything has a purpose and everyone has a purpose and you find that through the confines of what the church says. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Bryce. You know, I also find it interesting that this article says for centuries in the West, men who chose the ministry have been stereotyped as effeminate. And it's perhaps not surprising if what this article is saying is true, where it mentions in the 12th and 13th centuries, a particularly tender and even erotic strain of devotion arose in Western Christianity. The term that was brought up in the article is bridal mysticism. And I found this really interesting, Bryce. That concept invites the individual believer to picture himself or herself as the bride of Christ. And I think it's very problematic if taken at the personal level rather than from the perspective of the church as a whole, as this article says. If I were to try to envision myself as the bride of Christ as a man, it can become a little bit problematic because then am I picturing myself as a woman? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting way of looking at it. And I, I do believe if you look at some of the artwork from that period, it's, it's very different than that of iconography that came before that or even artwork that came before that, um, ideas of, of heroism or courage, that does not strike me as being in line with an erotic love. Yeah. And, and building off of that, I definitely think this is a part of Western culture in general, especially uh, if you find yourself in the Anglosphere, being a part of 
you have a rugged individualism about you. Mm-hmm. And in and of itself, that concept seems to make sense. And that concept seems to be the right way of thinking about things. But when you enter into the Orthodox Church, you find yourself in communion with people. We don't ever really refer to ourselves as an individual. As an individual. We refer to ourselves as persons, mm-hmm. sure. And it's not in a, a communist or collectivist type of way of looking right. at yourself as not being part of the collective because that removes who you are, but it mm-hmm. is a more personable thing rather than an individualistic thing. Right, and we talk about that in terms of, for example, persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one but also distinct three persons, and we were made in the image of God. So we're designed to be in communion with each other, as we've been talking about. I think what you did is just give a great overview of how we see it. I want to go on with the article, though, and and this kind of builds off of what we've been talking about. The Eastern Church escaped bridal mysticism because the great split between East and West had already taken place. And for those of you that don't know, there was a great schism in the year 1054, and that is when the Church of the East basically stayed traditional, and the Church of the West, which originated in Rome and is now the Roman Catholic Church, split off from the other four patriarchates. Going on with the article, the men who wrote me expressed hearty dislike for what they perceive as a soft Western Jesus. American Christianity in the last 200 years has been feminized. It presents Jesus as a friend, a lover, someone who walks with me and talks with me. This is fine rapturous imagery for women who need a social life. Or it depicts Jesus whipped, dead on the cross. Neither is the type of Christ the typical male wants much to do with. And Bryce, we talked about this a couple episodes back, about who the authentic Jesus Christ is as victor on the cross and not as a victim. But I think there's something much deeper in this part of the article that it's really kind of pointing to. I think that bridal mysticism that we were talking about earlier, not only has it been a turnoff for a lot of men who want to live an authentic masculine life, not just in the world, but with each other, to relate to other men in an authentic way. You know, men can be turned off by being told or suggested that they should be more like a female. Men aren't designed to be females. They're designed to be men. And the interaction that two men have with each other today, I think is very different than in the ancient world for sure. But even over the last, I would say, few generations, there seems to be a distancing, not only from men one to another, but even with fathers to sons. It it seems in my experience and as I've gotten to know men around me, friends of mine, uh, in my own relationship with my father, and I've heard this from other men as well, You know, men have been confused as fathers about how to authentically relate to their sons, especially, and how to pour love into them in a way that does not suggest something that may be inappropriate. Yeah, for sure. And it's also trying to find somebody to identify with. A lot of the time, you know, I could not find myself reading through this first paragraph here. This is not something I can necessarily identify myself with. It doesn't give an image of of someone, you know, a being, if you will, who who radiates energy or or has values that make me want to be like them. Yeah, and you know, this archetype of of Christ as as a warrior, willingly going to his death. 
these sort of, you know, for, for the world. I mean, we talk about this all the time on, on the podcast and in person, Michael, the resurrection icon and even the crucifixion icon of Christ, mm-hmm. these things accentuate so much imagery. And in the Orthodox Church, our history is on our walls, our theology is on our walls a lot of the time. And being able to visually see something like that, it gives an image of Christ that we believe as the Orthodox Church that is is, is accurate. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Bryce. And there there seems to be this pattern that's happening in our culture today where men are being almost forced to be different than how they were wired to be with each other. One of the things that Father Hans, our spiritual advisor, tells us all the time in the Antiochian men is that men are designed to have deep relationships with each other and that that has really been hijacked in our culture in a lot of ways and sexualized. And what we have to do, Bryce, we have to take that back. And one of the best ways we can do that is by understanding who the authentic Jesus Christ is, how he related to other men. And that becomes then a model for us. And we can reject the lies and the craziness in our culture that are out there Mm -hmm. that are perverting and twisting what a male-to-male friendship is supposed to be like. Because brotherly love is something real. There's even a city of brotherly love in this country called Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. Where did it get that name? There is something that exists that's brotherly love. And it has to be taken back. We have to make sure that we are relating to each other authentically and not being afraid to pour love into our brothers in a platonic way. I don't know any other way of saying that, but those deep relationships male to male have just been completely perverted in the culture. And a lot of people are afraid to even initiate those kinds of relationships for fear of blowback or some kind of a association with homosexuality or whatever you want to say. And I think that's something we need to have more courage to face up to what the truth is, how God designed us to really be in brotherhoods with each other. Yeah, and I, I think part of being courageous is uh, not necessarily caring what people think about your relationships with people, um, at least as far as it goes to formulating something authentic and something genuine, because I think at the heart of every person, they do want to know who they are. Exactly. And they are searching for truth. And I think, as we've said before, and this is not an original idea from us, but truth is not just a principle, it is a man, and that is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And being able to have a good relationship with somebody, with with a man in particular, um, I really think that you're able to learn more about how it is to live your life and mm-hmm. how it is to actually be your authentic self to yourself and to others. Yeah, and Bryce, you've said this more than once. You've said that you've needed the Antiochian men because coming out of high school, coming out of college, you're still in college now, you didn't really know what it meant to be a man. Some of those things I know you've gotten from your father, but we've talked about the fact that over generations, fathers have even been unsure about how to relate to their sons. And it's become, it feels like more and more distance between a father and a son over the last few generations. And so men need other men to show them what it means to be a man. And so we need men to step up. And I think in our church especially, that's a great place to start. Right. And being able to formulate that within the context of the church is something that I think, it's not a new concept, but I think to a lot of us, it is a new concept. Because for a lot of us, we don't have heroes anymore. Right. Our heroes are celebrities. For some of us, they're politicians, they're athletes, whoever. 
and some of these people may be very good, genuine people, but at the same time, being able to find someone who is an authentic, authentic version of what that looks like and looking to the culture, frankly, is not the place to look. And, yeah. then, and even then, if it were, it's not, it's not a personal thing. Right. It's not a, it's, it's not something that you can experience eye to eye or face to face. It's something that is afar from you and it's something that can become very idealized and it's something that really it's not the place to look and it's not that the answer is somewhere in the middle the answer is above all of that right exactly bryce why don't you go ahead and take the next section of the article during worship quote men don't want to pray in the western fashion with hands clasped lips pressed together and a facial expression of forced serenity unquote another quote says it's guys holding hands with other guys and singing campfire songs another quote Lines about reaching out for his embrace, wanting to touch his face, while being overwhelmed by the power of his love. Those are difficult songs for one man to sing to another man. I would say those are definitely difficult for one man to sing to another man. And it all feels just so very touchy-feely. And I even started laughing, Bryce, when you were reading this, because if you compare it to the Orthodox Church, there's so much depth to the hymnography, and it goes back thousands of years in some cases the hymns go all the way back to in some cases the third and fourth century and what we're actually singing what we're bringing forward and making a present reality they're not campfire songs yeah they're not designed to invoke some kind of emotion and to have everybody sing kumbaya with each other that's not what our worship is right and we just sang tonight we're celebrating the exaltation of the holy cross yeah um we're still in that period now and uh the hymns lyrics go like this uh, O lord save thy people and bless thy inheritance grant to thy people victory over all their enemies and by the power of thy cross preserving thine estate and a hymn like that it's it's not an impersonal one at all it's it's giving an actual representation of what has been done by Christ himself, what has been done for us yeah. and where we find ourselves in that. And a, a lot of these songs that I recall singing as a kid, they were nice in bringing us together, but at the same time, it all felt rather, it felt rather contrived. I, I did not necessarily feel right singing it because it just couldn't, I couldn't find somewhere to identify with it. Mm, it must have felt very forced. It, it honestly, at times it was, um, I remember some of the old, older Lutheran hymns that we would sing at church, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That, that one was a good one, <laughs> at least in, mm-hmm. in the context of, of how it was written. Uh, these, it's, it's about the beauty of something greater than yourself and acknowledging God for who he is and, and what he is and, yeah. you know, being able to see his creation, see his work. Yeah, that's quite a contrast. I appreciate you sharing your past as a Lutheran. That's something I don't have. I did go to a Lutheran university when I started college, and I noticed some of these things. But when you had been brought up in that in that environment, it gives such such clarity about what that was like. And so it's always nice to hear that perspective, Bryce. I'm going to go ahead and read the next two sections of the article here together. Quote, a friend of mine told me that the first thing he does when he walks into a church is to look at the curtains. That tells him who is making the decisions in that church and the type of Christian they want to attract. Another quote says, guys either want to be challenged to fight for a glorious and honorable cause 
and get filthy dirty in the process or to loaf in our recliners with plenty of beer, pizza, and football. But most churches want us to behave like orderly gentlemen, keeping our hands and mouths nice and clean. That's a uh, rather interesting way of looking at things, and I think it kind of brings up something we talked about earlier. There's a there's two camps you can find yourself in. Mm-hmm. You you can be a nice guy, you know, you can be somebody who never causes trouble, um, or you can be somebody who is a caricature, if you will. Yeah, and I was going to talk about that caricature a little bit. You know, there's a there's a well known iconographer I've mentioned him before, Jonathan Pajot, that talks a lot about things that are happening in culture, in pop culture, in movies. And there's been a strange kind of demeaning of the male characters in movies and TV shows. You know, this kind of idea of the male as the complete couch potato, sitting around with beer and watching football, not really wanting to be engaged at home to help out his wife, to help out with the kids. And you see also in a lot of big budget movies, this kind of strange inversion with female roles, for example, a female lead will take the place of what used to be a masculine role. And it's almost like in Hollywood, they're trying to put these masculine virtues and and traits and qualities into these female leads to kind of prop up the woman as this Amazon woman that is this ultimate really kind of male figure, what has traditionally been a male figure. And I don't think that this pattern is is just some kind of a coincidence. I think that there is a concerted effort in our culture and in Hollywood in particular to kind of convince men that they really should be looking at women as what they should be more like. And the women are always either put together better in these stories. And I think it's a very strange thing that's happening in our culture. And Jonathan Pajot has got a YouTube channel that that has several videos talking about this. But I think there's something even bigger happening just in the world where there's this confusion about what it means to be a man. And even men now aren't sure what that is. You've said this as a young man, but even older men, I know men in their 40s and their 50s, they were never told what it meant to become a man. Yeah. And even in the church, they're looking, hopefully, to the authentic Jesus Christ to do that. But in some cases, even in the church, they get lost because of the conditioning that's happening around us in our culture. And sometimes we don't even see the authentic Christ when he's right in front of us. Right. And a lot of the time, you know, you mentioned pop culture references earlier. You can either find yourself being Ned Flanders or mm. you can find yourself being Homer Simpson. Yeah. And, you know, that's not just a, that's not just an older person problem. That's a younger man problem, too. And again, you know, we're all looking for something. Mm-hmm. And the Orthodox Church, I think for us, Michael, and for so many other people, because we were looking for truth, we also found parts of ourselves there too. And and that's a lifelong journey. And having a relationship with the spiritual father as well, yeah. that's something that can go leaps and bounds beyond just, just trying to do it yourself or just, I mean, being present in the church is a wonderful thing. Being a part of the ministries that the church has to offer right. is a wonderful thing as well. But having a relationship with the spiritual father who knows you and you know him that is something that you really can't find anywhere else. Yeah, that is so true. Bryce, why don't you go ahead and take a stab here at the next section of the article? So one man said that worship at his Pentecostal church had been, quote, largely an emotional experience. Feelings, tears, repeated rededication of one's life to Christ in large emotional group settings. 
singing emotional songs, swaying hands aloft. Even scripture reading was supposed to produce an emotional experience. I'm basically a doer. I want to do things and not talk about or emote my way through them. As a business person, I knew that nothing in business comes without effort, energy, and investment. Why would the spiritual life be any different? Unquote. Yeah, and that's a great way to end that section. Just being somebody who's in the business world, I can relate to that. You know, we put a lot of effort and energy and investment into any business venture. If we're a part of a company, it comes with hard work. And we expect those things to be rewarded. We expect things to pay off. If we make an investment, we expect dividends. It's something that makes sense. You know, the the thing about this section, though, that really gets me is this emotional piece. And we talked a little bit about this earlier and in a previous episode. You know, the thing I really wanted to emphasize, and I've heard this my whole life from priests in the church, in the Orthodox Church, just because we receive an emotion doesn't mean it's from God. And this can become very, very dangerous if people, and even some people I've heard say, oh, I just had a conversation with the Holy Spirit, and I know it was the Holy Spirit because I felt this way. And Bryce, I don't know what your experience may have been like in this kind of, in this kind of way, but for me, whenever I hear somebody talking like that, it is, it is really dangerous ground. Because, again, not every emotion comes from God. There are arrows that fly by day. There are demonic principalities There are demons out there sending emotions to us. And we're even told that the devil can appear as an angel of light. So what kind of emotions do you think we can be sent by an angel of light who just so happens to be Satan himself? I mean, this is very dangerous ground. Mm. And so when I think about churches that use emotion as their driving force, I see that as very dangerous ground. Yeah, I mean, things need to be done with proper discernment, right? And this is part of where your spiritual father comes in. You you may have thoughts or you may have some type of experience that may give you an interesting feeling or may give you interesting thoughts or a new way of looking at things. And if you are not able to properly discern that, you need to go to your spiritual father and, and discuss that. As well as, you know, the, you talk about emotion in a lot of uh, churches, shall we say. And I wouldn't say that Orthodox people are immune mm-hmm. to having this this experience. None of us are immune. Right. And it's, I definitely think that it, a lot of Western churches now do not have a concept of the sacraments as the Eastern Orthodox Church does, as the Roman Catholic Church does, as some high church Protestant churches have as well. And I think, from my observation, I do think that this emotion is, it's replicating a sacrament. You must be mm. emotional, not in a mind-controlling way, but it's just something that's expected of you. I think being able to do things without emotion driving you is an interesting concept to some people because it's it's just expected at some points. Yeah, and isn't it in our culture today where it seems like all of our entertainment is predicated on eliciting an emotional response. If you think about even going to a football game like we were talking about, about experiencing a touchdown, you know, with all your your friends there at the stadium, but even going to a concert, music is highly emotional driven. In movies, I mean, think about some of the Disney films and Pixar that really tug at your heartstrings. There is a direct attempt in all aspects of our entertainment world to really pull at your heartstrings, to really evoke those emotional responses because it makes people feel alive. But 
In what way are they really feeling alive? Is it a self-medication technique for someone that just wants to feel something? I wanted to make one more comment about the business side of things since it brought it up in this section of the article. You know, I've had a 20-year career in the business world, and one of my mentors told me once that in the business world, if you're making an emotional decision, it's usually not the right one. And I've always thought about that because if you are making an emotional decision and it's not about the bottom line or about making a good business decision, which involves using your head, using logic to make sure that you're not doing something on a whim, businesses have collapsed because of emotional decisions. Churches have collapsed because of emotional decisions. So anytime we're talking about emotion, I think it's very important that we know that we should have a spiritual father to help us with that kind of discernment. If we are relying on only ourselves to interpret the emotions that we're feeling, it's very dangerous ground. And we can't think that we're above the demonic assaults that we are under fire from every single day. Yeah, and I think a part of that too is not allowing your emotion to control you and you being able to control that emotion. And this is something that the church talks about frequently, you know, suppressing your own passions, being able to overcome the flesh and not allowing that to overcome you. It's, again, it's something that may be a lifelong struggle for a lot of people, and we all have our different struggles as well, but being able to discern, okay, this thought's coming to my mind, it's wanting me to feel this way, and perhaps it is okay to feel that way, but to not let it consume you. Yeah. I'm going to go on with the article, Bryce. I'll read the next section here. Another who visited Catholic churches says, they were conventional, easy, and modern. When my wife and I were looking for something traditional, hard, and countercultural, something ancient and martial, a catechumen says that at his non-denominational church, worship was shallow, haphazard, cobbled together from whatever was most current. Sometimes we'd stand, sometimes we'd sit, without much rhyme or reason to it. I got to thinking about how stronger grounding and tradition would help. I do think that's an interesting thing to bring up. Uh, that's that's something that I felt at times before I became Orthodox. That's something that I felt at times. And I, I do think, again, we I think she talks about this earlier on in the article, a more rigid style of how things are done in right. the Orthodox Church. Having structure. Right. And you don't strictly go to an Orthodox Church because of the aesthetics or because of the more, shall we say, martial element to it. You, you go because it's something, there's something there that appeals to you beyond all of that. And it's like we're kind of wired to fit right into the structure that already exists in the Orthodox Church. Right. The people have such an important part to play in the liturgy. Yeah. And, and even just listening about this, this quote from this person who said that it seemed haphazard, cobbled together, that is definitely not our experience in the Orthodox Church. There are so many rubrics and services that have been put together just over many, many years where everybody knows exactly where to find the piece of the service that we should be in. And there's something that is very comforting about that, where you go to the church and you're not wondering, what is the preacher going to just pick for this Sunday and then just feel called to preach about? Or is our worship even going to look the same this Sunday as it did the previous week? Right. And I believe it was Francis Chan, who's a, a Protestant author, uh, who a couple of his books I read when I was younger, he was at a talk a few years ago, and he was discussing church history in front of a congregation. 
And he had said that he did not know that for the first 1,500 years of church history, a service centered around the Eucharist and not around the sermon. And that opens up so many cans of worms because so many churches now are oriented around the sermon. You know, Mm -hmm. my pastor gave a great sermon, which I'm sure he did, but at the same time, there's a different aura about the way things are done when it's about the Eucharist, when it's, you know, what does the word Eucharist mean? Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you know, you're in communion. What makes that so much different yeah. than where your former confession was? Yeah. And you mentioned this earlier, having the sacramental life is such an important aspect of our worship. You know, you mentioned the word sacrament, which is actually a Western word. The, the Roman Catholic church has the word sacraments. We have sacraments too, but the Greek word actually means mystery. Mm-hmm. And that word is so important because it is not something that we try to go too far to fully, completely understand with our brains, because these are things of God. So the Eucharist, for example, is a mystery in the Orthodox Church. We can understand it to a point, but we also know when to bow to the mystery. And this is something that is much more an Eastern mindset, an Eastern mystical mindset, that is very foreign to people in the West who are used to, through scholasticism and through you know, the Western thought, trying to figure out every single thing that they possibly can and thinking that science can explain everything, even the things of God. Yeah, and I I do think that's something that's hard to let go because many, many great things have come out of scholasticism and rational thought. Uh, Most medicine that we know of was developed by Roman Catholics. Most ways of philosophy were developed by Roman Catholics. Our, Our political structures are developed by very devout Protestant folks. But there are some things that science isn't always the best to try to figure out. Right, and in the ways of God, it's a lot of the time, it's not that we just throw our hands up, go, well, I don't know. It's it's so, it's because it is a mystery. We, we trust that the Holy Spirit descends upon the gifts. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't necessarily know how it happens. Or exactly when. Exactly. I mean, Michael, you and I witnessed the ordination of a priest earlier this year. That's right. And Bishop Nicholas, when he was ordaining this with this priest, he stops and he goes, I'm not doing this. The Holy Spirit is doing this. I'm asking him yeah. to do this. And he's performing that action. And we don't have to know the exact minute and second that it happened. But in some cases in the West, it, it has become that where we feel like we should be able to, out of our human brain, comprehend all of the things that are from the kingdom of God. And it's just simply not the truth. We have to be humble enough to realize that there's some things we should just bow to the mystery. We can have things revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Usually when that happens, we can't fully explain them, especially to people outside of the church. Yeah. But there are things that we can also say our human brain can't comprehend of a God that has always existed, has never been born, who will never die. We are temporal beings. And so there's only so much we can even understand. Right. And part of understanding that or part of understanding your role in that rather is obedience. Yes. And again, for some people that does sound archaic. It does in a way, it does sound dystopian. You know, oh, you can't think for yourself. That's not necessarily true. It's being obedient to those who are part of apostolic succession, which is a huge part yeah. of Orthodox legitimacy and where we find ourselves in that. Bryce, why don't you take the next two sections of the article? She begins, quote, It infuriated me on my last Ash Wednesday that the priest delivered a homily about how the real meaning of Lent is to learn to love ourselves more. It forced me to realize how completely sick I was of bourgeois 
feel-good American Christianity, unquote. Continuing, a convert priest says that men are drawn to the dangerous element of orthodoxy, which involves the self-denial of a warrior, the terrifying risk of loving one's enemies, the unknown frontiers to which a commitment to humility might call us. Lose any of those dangerous qualities and we become the, quote, Joanne Fabric Store, unquote, of churches. Nice colors and a very subdued clientele. Has a very interesting image to leave that section of the article, Bryce, but I wanted to go back to the meaning of Great Lent and this person who was quoted saying that on their last Ash Wednesday, there was a priest that delivered the, the homily about the real meaning of Lent, which was to learn to love ourselves more. And I don't know about you, Bryce, but you know we've talked about Great Lent and that's definitely not what my takeaway was. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, I mean, it's, I think you do learn more about yourself. You do. During that period. Not necessarily about how to love yourself more. Right. And again, what does that mean? Yeah. In a Western context, in a very pop culture context, you know, you need to love yourself. Well, I don't even know what that means. I've heard it mm-hmm. time and time again. And frankly, it sounds a little selfish. Yeah. And it sounds like a little bit more of pop psychology, the brand that really tries to boost people's self-esteem and to think that they're not really as bad as they think they are. And there's people that deal with depression. There's people that are down on themselves a lot. But the reality is we're sinners and we need to be healed. And so coming to the church, and we've talked about this before, especially during Great Lent, there are deep spiritual realities that are revealed to us through our constant attendance to a lot of the services during Great Lent. It's not a love fest. It's not singing campfire songs with each other. It's coming, like you said, Bryce, to grips with who we really are And it also reveals how sinful we really are, how far from God we are, and how much healing we need in the context of the church, but also on our journey towards the empty tomb on Great and Holy Pascha, which is our Easter. Right, and it's not a a self-hate fest. It's not, you know, oh, woe is me. It's, this is my state. Yeah. Here's how I can move on out of that. And here's, again, how I can learn more about the things that I may struggle with, the thoughts that I may have, the feelings that may drive me. And again, going toward the empty tomb at the end of the day, you know, at the end of that 40-day period, it is an arduous journey. And we go through it together. And we all prostrate. We all make matanyas. We all go without certain foods that we may love for a time. But all that is for our salvation. Exactly. Let's finish this section of the article strong. I'll go ahead and finish these last two paragraphs. Men get pretty cynical when they sense someone attempting to manipulate their emotions, especially when it's in the name of religion. They appreciate the objectivity of orthodox worship. It's not aimed at prompting religious feelings, but at performing an objective duty. From a deacon, evangelical churches call men to be passive and nice, think Mr. Rogers, Orthodox churches call men to be courageous and act, think Braveheart. I think, Bryce, this really summarizes things very well, and it kind of repeats some of the things we've already talked about. First of all, manipulating emotions. I know men are not a fan of that. If they feel like someone is trying to manipulate them emotionally, they usually turn and go the other way. They can always tell when they're being kind of conned or if they're just being manipulated emotionally to try to feel things that are not who they really are or not how they want to feel. You know, we've talked a lot about the structure that's found in the Orthodox Church. I also think this word of objectivity is very important. You know, we talked in one of our earlier episodes about how 
the ascetical disciplines of the church help us so that our highs are not too high and our lows are not too low, and we can deal with the emotional times in our life in a much more balanced way. There are a lot of men, Bryce, I look around and see them all the time, that have really major problems controlling their emotions. And so a lot of the things in the church, I can just speak from experience, have really helped me to kind of be at a more even keel, which has given me tremendous blessings in my life. It's helped me to get through school. It's helped me to have a career. It's helped me to lead my family and to not let those high tides overwhelm me. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of that too is having a, a communion as well and having a community, especially with other Orthodox people. One of our saints says, you know, my brother is my life. Mm-hmm. And being a part of that, that's a genuine thing. And I think people really just want genuine relationships with other people. And both men and women have issues with, you know, manipulation. And everybody now is skeptic. Yeah. Everybody's now a skeptic unless it necessarily fits the way that they're feeling at one point or another. And having a duty is something that is much different. I've never been in the military, but I look at these guys that I know who are the men and women who have been in the military that I know, and they have a different aura about them. They're real men. Especially because they've served in combat or they've just been alongside people. They've served others, exactly. These are people that embody what we've been talking about. Right, and none of that was forced necessarily. It's part of what you do, but you willingly go to do so. Right. Yeah, Bryce, I think that we've we've talked about a lot of good things here in this episode. And, you know, there's still more of this this article that that we're looking forward to diving into. So we really appreciate you being with us hearing our perspective on all of these different topics. I think these are very important topics. I know, Bryce, you agree with me. Before we do end the episode, I want to remind everyone that we do have a website. Please visit it at antiochianmen.org. Also check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash amendomsi and look at all the great video content that we have available. And also remember that our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, as well as our YouTube channel. If you are a listener on any of those platforms and you are able to leave a review or give us a star rating, please go ahead and do so. It helps with the algorithm, gives us some more traction going forward. And please tell a friend about the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. We would really appreciate it if you can send a text message, an email, or even a Facebook post your friends and encourage them to listen to this podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.